Hi class, this is your podcast for the Psychology 201 Exam 4 review. This is the one that um, should be happening for everyone on the last day of the semester. For some of you, that will end up being the 29th if your class is on a Tuesday or Thursday. So that's the 29th of November. For the rest of you, it will end up being on the 3rd of December, which is a Monday. Either way, it's coming up pretty quickly and I want to get this out to you. I apologize for not getting it done at the end of last week, but I got slammed with students on Tuesday afternoon during office hours that needed things before they left and I couldn't really put that off. So again, I'm sorry. But I'm going to go through the review sheet, which is posted online. It says exam for review sheet items to know and also has the information on the extra credit for the final exam. And that's going to be the items you can bring for the veterans home. Speaking of extra credit, the first thing I want to remind you of is that you can still do the extra credit if you haven't yet for the course reviews. If you just look in your Tri-County email for one from Chris Marino, his last name's M-A-R-I-N-O, you should be able to find a link to the course evaluation. Again, I just want your honest opinion and any sort of information you can give me that you feel would be helpful in terms of revamping different things in the class to perhaps make them easier to learn or just things that might make it a little more fun because I know this late in the semester that things are starting to get a lot less fun than they probably were in the beginning, and that's assuming any were fun at all. So I would really appreciate that input. Just tell me your suggestions as well as your honest opinion, and I really do read those. Also, they are confidential unless you totally give away who you are, so you do not have to do that part. Okay. Um So as far as the exam for review, you basically need to know chapter 13 and chapter 14. And these two chapters run together quite a bit. So when I did the exam, I went ahead and had the testing program print out a list of which chapter each question came from. That way I didn't direct you in the wrong way for chance because they are pretty similar. As I said, it's very hard to talk about mental disorders without talking about treatments because many times problems with treatments lead to part of what some of the diagnostic criteria are for the disorders. Um, Being resistant to treatment can be an actual sign of a disorder. To give an example of that, I may go through the review sheet. Sorry, I'm having a little trouble with my voice in terms of the way it's listed. So I'm going to do number 1 through 20, which is going to be under chapter 13 first, and then move on to the next 1 through 20, making, of course, a grand total of 40 questions, which should be in chapter 14, and tell you where those are at as well. Okay. So the first thing is going to be positive and negative symptoms of schizophrenia. This is a lot like the learning chapter. When we say positive and negative, we don't necessarily mean good or bad. We're meaning present or not present or an excess of something or an absence of something. Okay. And that's going to be found under uh, chapter 13.6. Okay. Um, 
The next one, Americans Experiencing Mood Disorders. Basically, you want to know how many Americans in a given year can actually experience a mood disorder. Not the lifespan, but during a given year. Okay, That should be 13.5, that chapter. Okay, The next thing is going to be the number of Americans with a specific phobia. And that will be under chapter 13.3. So you're looking for a specific percentage. Okay. And it's adults, of course, um, since children aren't diagnosed with anything until they hit 18 or, of course, should not be, whether they have the symptoms or not. Okay. The next thing would be dissociative identity disorder. You basically want to know kind of what that was called previously. And that should be pretty easy for you to find. Um, it has to do with the two states that it kind of goes back and forth between. Um, and that one is in chapter 13.4. Okay. That's, of course, an anxiety disorder. All right. Um, the next one is panic attacks or agoraphobia. We talked about panic attacks quite a bit in class and actually had people tell us a little bit about what those were like. And as I said, they're actually quite terrifying. Um, you can find the information on this under chapter 13.3, okay? But what you need to know here is fear of having another panic attack, of course, can lead to more panic attacks, but you also kind of want to know that it can lead to depression, okay? Um, remember I said it's a bit of a cycle with anxiety and depression, okay? Um, the next one, PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, we talked about quite a bit as well, which is, of course, an anxiety disorder. And... Um, those can happen a lot of times after catastrophes or after people have had war experience. And um, that's what it's most closely associated with. It can be just about anything, though. But those would be where you'd probably find most of the trauma that relates to that or more severe trauma. And that's under Chapter 13.3. Okay. Um... Moving on, number seven, schizophrenia and catatonia. Um, catatonia is a symptom of a specific type of schizophrenia, okay? And it's basically where you see where someone doesn't move. In fact, it's not just that they're lacking facial expressions. They don't move at all. I remember it being brought up in one of my courses, but I don't remember which one it was, but I do know it was only one of them. And you can find information about that in chapter 13.6 under schizophrenia. Number eight, what causes abnormal behavior basically, or some of the causes of abnormal behavior? Um, we talked about different things that are related to abnormal behavior. There's a slide on this, and there's quite a few of them. You can find that under chapter 13.1, um, but 
the majority of your theories are going to talk about different types of stress that can lead to abnormal behavior or abnormal behavior disorders. So kind of keep that in mind. It's It can be a lot of things, but stress is going to be the underlying cause to a lot of it. Okay. Um, number nine, major depressive symptoms. So that would be major depression instead of something like dysthymia, so major depressive disorder. Okay. Um, so you want to know the symptoms associated with that, which you can find in chapter 13.4. Five. Um, we also talked about them a lot, and I said this is one of those disorders that everyone's kind of experienced at least a small, I would say, taste of having experienced mild depression following perhaps a breakup or a death in your family. But you get changes in mood, you get changes in sleep, changes in appetite. Um, those, of course, can be too much sleep, too little sleep, too much eating, too little eating. It just really depends on the person, but it's very specific to that person. So you can see a lot of variation between two people with the same diagnosis of major depressive disorder or depression, but very different behavior. Okay, so kind of keep that in mind. That makes it a little harder to treat. Okay, number 10, mania. This is for people that have bipolar disorder. You have both your depressive state and your manic state. Okay, this is more of a definitional question. Okay, and um, it's under chapter 13.5, uh, mood disorders. And you basically kind of want to know what the symptoms of mania are and then of course that you can have things like hallucinations or um, more severe manifestations of like delusions or confused thinking with mania as well okay um, moving on um, anorexia nervosa criteria for abnormal behavior, okay? So anorexia is something we didn't get into a whole lot, but it's basically one of your two main eating disorders. It's where people don't eat at all um, to kind of manage body image or rather manage um, their weight in relation to their body image as compared to things like bulimia, where one will eat or binge and then, of course, purge afterwards. Um, but for the anorexia question, um, what you're looking at, let me turn a page here, is going to be under chapter, I think, 13.1 which is, you know, that basically the reason why we consider it an abnormal behavior, right? Um, we all know it's unhealthy for you. It's very bad for your heart. But why do we consider it abnormal? Which prong of abnormality does it meet? And I would say it could meet a lot of them, especially considering it's bad for your health. But mainly it's going to hit the not typically or culturally expected because even though things like being overweight or obese is not normal or culturally accepted either, lack of eating entirely kind of falls on the opposite end of that spectrum. Okay. The next thing, genetic twin studies and schizophrenia. 
I think we've talked about this quite a bit, just basically that there seems to be a very strong underlying link in schizophrenia to genetics, basically with identical twins showing the highest correlation of if one exhibits schizophrenia, the other does as well, okay? You can find more information on that on chapter 13.6. So there's definitely a high genetic sensitivity there. But environment does also play a role. But it's definitely one of our more genetic disorders. Okay. Um, The DSM model of disorders, which is number 13. So the DSM is the um, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of mental disorders. The questions about the DSM-5, we have moved on to the DSM-6. They just haven't updated the test bank or the textbook yet. Um, And it just basically wants to kind of know the number of disorders, and that's on one of your slides. It's around 300, although I'm pretty sure the DSM-6 has actually moved past that. Um, The DSM is constantly changing the diagnostic criteria for mental disorders and things that are disorders versus things that are not. But overall, it's constantly kind of usually adding more categories. And that's something you'll want to know. That's under chapter 13.2. Okay. Um, The next one is going to be antisocial or borderline disorder categories. Um, Trying to figure out what I meant by that. So let's see here. It looks like um, I'm going to be asking on that as far as uh, the information under chapter 13.6, which is going to be um, the different types of symptoms you see in schizophrenia. I'm not sure I worded that the best, so if you're listening to the podcast, that's probably a good thing. I apologize for that. Um, The next one is going to be the DSM-5 contains what? Um, Well, actually, it contains a lot of things. Um, Let me see what I meant here. It's basically going to be, you know, definitions of disorders is going to definitely be one of the things that it's going to contain. Um, And if you want to look under 13.2, the DSM model for classifying behavior, you'll find kind of more information on that there. But it's definitely a list of symptoms of those disorders and kind of how to categorize those, okay? Um, Going back to the one right before this, number 14, in terms of uh, antisocial and borderline personality disorders, another thing I would like you to make sure you take a look at is um, under 13.7, kind of um, understand how antisocial and borderline things are both personality disorders, okay? understand what personality disorders are and what some of the challenges are with those in terms of changing them, okay? 
Um, number 16, which is PTSD. We've talked about a little bit. It's already been on here once. But it looks like what I'm specifically looking at here in terms of PTSD would be what the symptoms are of it. So make sure you look up at those. Um, you can find that under 13.3. So things like flashbacks and nightmares are going to be certain symptoms of PTSD. Um, number 17, violation of social and cultural norms is going to be one of the prongs of abnormal behavior. Of course, just because something violates a social norm does not necessarily mean that it makes a disorder, but it's something to look at, okay? Um, in terms of that, you'll want to look at uh, chapter 13.1, which is way back at the beginning here, um, and kind of understand what that prong of abnormal behavior is, Okay. The next one is autism spectrum disorder, which I'm pretty sure is the last slide on this PowerPoint in terms of chapter 13. And um, basically what it is, okay? So how would you define autism spectrum disorder? Keeping in mind just the fact that it's called a spectrum disorder means that it's going to be classified under a certain set of things, okay? If you look under 13.2, um, would be the best place to look for that, okay? Um, one before that, it looks like I kind of might have missed here, is going to be... Um, the neurotransmitter that's related to symptoms of depression. Um, the main treatment, and I may have just put this wrong when I was looking at it, for depression tends to be usually with SSRIs. So it happens at the level of reuptake of the neurotransmitter, so the recycling area for neurotransmitters. And that's going to happen with SSRIs, which are selective serotonin, reuptake inhibitors or selective serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. So the main thing you're going to find related to that is going to be serotonin in terms of depression, we think. Um, sorry if that's a little out of order for you, but I happened to see it and want to make sure I got it in there. Um, the next thing is a social learning and anxiety disorders. Okay. So um, how can social learning lead to a development of a anxiety disorder is what you're looking for there. And that's under chapter 13.2. I'm sorry, 13.1. And then, um, no, no, wait. Uh, yeah, I'm right. It is 13.1. I apologize. And... That is currently all I have on the chapter 13 part. I'm going to stop here and go over the next one. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed the last one. Positive symptoms of schizophrenia. So make sure you know those. That's um, going to be under uh, 
chapter 13.6, okay, um, be able to recognize some of those. Those are basically things that are not there that basically shouldn't be there. So like seeing things or hearing things, hallucinations, delusions. Um, and that's going to be number 20 under chapter 13, mental health disorders. So I'm going to stop there for a minute and I'll be back in a minute with the other half of this. Okay, moving on to the second chapter for your exam for review. This is going to be chapter 14, which is going to be treatment for disorders. Again, they are hard to separate. So while I'm going to give you some areas to look for the information for these questions, it might not hurt to also look back in the previous chapter if you're having trouble finding something or email me if you really are having trouble finding something. Um, so let's see. The first one on here is psychiatrist. And that's going to be basically looking for what the difference is between a psychiatrist and a psychologist. And that should be pretty easy for you to find. It's under 14.1. Psychiatrists are generally medical doctors, which gives them a different privilege or two than psychologists, even ones that have PhDs, okay? Um, the next one, number two, would be systematic desensitization. It's under chapter 14.4. It's a type of therapy, and it's kind of based on classical conditioning. Um, I've mentioned I have a fear of spiders. I can't think of anything that's necessarily related to other than they're creepy, but if chance in my past, I had a bad run-in with a spider, had a bad bite. That's a learned association. That's classical conditioning. Systematic desensitization would be to relearn that or to overlearn it. Maybe find a very nice spider, which I'm not quite sure where you would find them, but then start pairing those two things together. Okay, so it's basically based on the principles of classical conditioning and is something you'll kind of want to understand. Number three, benzodiazepines, is a type of drug treatment, usually for anxiety disorders. These are going to include things like um, diazepam, lorazepam, triazolam, Xanax, anything that's just basically a mild tranquilizer, okay? Um, you can uh, find information on that in chapter 14.8, okay? Um, the next one, aversion therapy, is basically referring to another type of treatment here. It actually relates to number 19 quite well, the anti-abuse therapy. So it's when you use making someone sick, to condition them, okay? So if someone doesn't need to be drinking, you pair that unpleasant stimulus with alcohol and then hopefully they will stop. Again, this is usually court ordered and is not something most people would do to themselves, but it can happen naturally if you're sick and eat a food as well, but that should be under chapter 14.4, okay? The next thing is lithium. It's a great song by Nirvana, but that's not what we're talking about here. It's going to 
be a treatment for a specific type of disorder, generally bipolar disorder. But it's going to be treating either the manic side or the depressive side a little better. And that's what you want to make sure you know. Okay. And you can find that in chapter 14.8. You may also want to know a little bit about the side effects because there's a lot of them. Um, the next one, number six, tardive dyskinesia is going to be a side effect that we see from use of antipsychotic medications. We usually see tics in people, um, kind of a, a writhing motion with a chin sometimes, tics in your eyes, constantly moving one's mouth, especially if the dose isn't dialed in very well for that patient. And over time, these can become permanent. Okay, and that's under 14.8, the biomedical therapies. Okay, so that's something to always kind of watch for. Um, the next one, VR treatment for PTSD. That's virtual reality treatment for PTSD. And this, of course, is kind of based on classical conditioning yet again. The idea that you have paired something like terror or feelings of anxiety with a certain situation, perhaps a combat situation, and they try and get you to unlearn that by pairing it with something better. So going through and they've used things like MDMA or ecstasy or tranquilizers and then running you through a similar virtual reality simulation and helping you unlearn that terror response to that. And it's a lot harder to do, but it has shown some promise in that area. Okay, um, that's under chapter 14.4. Okay. Um, the next thing is humanistic therapy. Okay. Um, a humanistic therapist this is going to be something that's kind of based on what Rogers did. And the, the main point of that is going to be supporting the patient through anything they need, at least, of course, within reason and ethics. Um, moving towards things like self-actualization. And uh, you can find information on that under Chapter 14.3 as well. The next one is going to be treatment for paranoid schizophrenia symptoms okay so paranoia of course is exactly what it sounds like you unrealistically believe that people are out to get you or everyone's after you or following you um and what you want to do for this one is you'll want to look under chapter 14.8 okay i'll give you some more information on that type of schizophrenia as well as basically kind of how we might um, treat it as well, okay? Um, and you'll want to kind of, hold on, I've lost where I'm at. Oh, you'll want to look at the specific drug that tends to treat those auditory hallucinations and delusions. It's uh, called clozapine. Know what that is and know kind of what the side effects are and what the general mechanisms are you're working with there. Okay. 
The next thing is rational emotive behavioral therapy. I'm sorry, just rational emotive therapy. And it's a cognitive therapy form. And um, what you're going to want to do there is look under chapter 14.5, okay? And kind of understand what it is and how it's used to help people with different things, okay? Number 11, tricyclic antidepressants. Most modern antidepressants work on serotonin and norepinephrine. They're those selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors I had mentioned earlier. Um, Tricyclics are a little older. They try not to use them as much, mainly because, to be absolutely honest, you can kill yourself with them if you overdose. And giving someone a tricyclic drug that they can kill themselves with is depressed is not good. But they are used to treat depression um, if you've kind of gone through the other safer options and still haven't found something that works. So make sure you kind of understand that's under chapter 14.8. Okay. The next thing is going to be Carl Rogers. And he's a theorist. Okay. Uh, You'll find information about him under 14.3. And... He basically pioneered more of a client-centered therapy. So basically, if you go into therapy, we're going to talk about, say, whatever the client wants to talk about. Let them guide the session. Let them tell you what to do, rather than being quizzed, perchance, by the therapist on what they want to talk about. It's more letting the client steer the session itself, okay? I think you're more likely to get to... The heart of the matter that way, even if it may take a little bit, okay? Um, the next one, family therapy. Very few things exist in a vacuum, and that's one thing to remember in things like family therapy. Um, most problems aren't just a single person's problems. They're not just acting that way all by themselves. They're acting that way in relation to many factors, including friends, family members, significant others, etc. And you want to kind of know the roles of the family in that, because I think a lot of us will think, hey, if we can just fix the one person in the family who's malfunctioning, we can fix the whole family dynamic. And that's not necessarily true. Usually the reason one person is, say, malfunctioning is because of the way other people are treating them or looking at them. And that's a very circular situation that is hard to get out of. So be sure and look into that. That's in uh, chapter 14.6 of group therapy approaches. But it's very hard to take someone out of one environment, fix their problems, and then put them back in that same environment and expect a whole lot to change. Which is, again, why, of course, we do things like family therapy. Okay? Change the environment as well as the person themselves and anyone else that maybe needs help within that family. Okay. The next thing is going to be positive and negative treatment of schizophrenia. I'm guessing of the symptoms here. Um, And basically what we find is that um, therapy for those people who have schizophrenia is actually pretty helpful. Um, It definitely works better than placebo. 
and a lot other a lot of other things. Um, so does psychotherapy work? Yeah, it does. Um, that's under fourteen point seven. Okay. Um, the next one is going to be natural form of aversive conditioning, and that's going to be. Um, of course, getting ill when you like you have the flu or also with like aversion therapy that we talked about earlier. Um, for that, you're going to want to look in um, chapter 14.4, okay, for a little bit more information. Um, and then, of course, client-centered therapy, we've already talked about a little bit. Um Number 17, anxiety disorder treatments slash neurotransmitters related to those. Um, most anxiety disorders are treated with SSRIs, which is depression medication, or benzodiazepines, which is a mild tranquilizer, okay? And you want to kind of know what those do, which is generally going to be increased gabapentin, or GABA, I'm sorry, not gabapentin, that's actually a drug itself, okay? Um 18, therapy outcomes. People do better with therapy than without. Okay, that's what you need to know with that. Um, number 19, knowing what antabuse is. And then number 20, knowing that depression seems to be related to serotonin because as we give people SSRIs or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which makes more serotonin available at the synapse, we many times see changes or improvements in terms of those depressive symptoms, okay? Um, that's basically what I have. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to email me. And um, yeah, best of luck. I hope you're having a great break and have a good Thanksgiving. And I will see you guys back on Monday or Tuesday, All right? Have a good night.